All right, everybody, welcome back to episode number 10 of the Young and Successful podcast. This one is, can we consider this a remote podcast? I'd say so. I mean, we're in Seattle. Yeah, it's kind of like Joe Rogan when he does them on his cool hunts, you know, but we're in Seattle. I'm here with Danny Verkich. I've talked about him on the podcast, I think, two times. Um, he's one of my good friends. He is responsible for introducing me to stoicism. So stoicism has been one of the things that has helped me more than really pretty much any philosophy that I've ever encountered um, in my life, my relationship, my business. So thanks to Danny, he's the one that introduced me to Seneca. And when he first was, we were chatting about this like a year and a half ago, maybe? If not longer. Yeah, and uh, we were texting and he said, hey, look, I'm reading this book called Meditations. And I remember my first thought was, what in the hell? Medi- Why do I want to read this book? This is awful. And uh, I didn't quite appreciate it until I kind of dove into the kind of underlying philosophy and actually started using some of their um, practices in my life. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go through uh, three practical and effective stoic exercises. Um, This will help you in your personal life, business life. But before we do that, we're going to just kind of do an overview of stoicism. Um, Danny is a really interesting individual. Um, we kind of grew up together. We weren't really friends until after college, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he actually was really good friends with my little sister. Um, but him and I kind of connected, you know, two years ago, maybe. Yeah, when I was that. trying to get a job at Fidelity. And I just yeah. thought it'd be a good idea to reach out to you, even though I didn't know you, and yeah. try to get a hookup. He uh, was aggressive in asking for kind of a referral when I was working at a brokerage firm. And then we kind of just connected. And... Um, Danny works, he actually got that job at Fidelity, but turned it down to work at a startup. Yeah. And you've kind of been in the startup world since then. Yeah, pretty much just early stage, like less than, I guess Domo was an exception, but for the most part, less than 15, 20 employees and just really getting that thing up and running bare bones. So you kind of take a, a business from the beginning to the end, and then that's kind of your area of expertise. You get kind of bored once the yeah. Startup phase is done. Yeah. I mean, like once it's up and running, like day-to-day operations, pretty monotonous. Like I just lose all interest and want to move on to the next thing. So I don't know if that's just um, a repercussion from my video gaming background, always picking up a new game yeah. every couple of weeks and always wanting to start on the next quest. But yeah, man, that's just always been a hard thing for me is finding, I guess, entertainment or stimulation in something that's just already working. Yeah. So your focus is, is going into a company and optimizing the systems. Talk about what you do kind of on a day-to-day basis. And we, we had the flight this morning, so we're sitting in our hotel room in Seattle waiting for the Metallica concert to start this evening. Thanks to my wife for the tickets. Um, but he was telling me when we were on the flight over that he is really good and he focuses on optimizing systems and backend um, so go into kind of what you do and then talk about how stoicism has helped you in the startup world. Because a lot of the listeners, I think, are starting businesses. They may work for a startup. They may be, you know, in college still ready to launch their own thing. How it's helped you in that actual startup world. Yeah. So to not get things confused, I'm like, when it comes to backend, I'm not a developer by any means. Like when it comes to coding, programming, like that's just all foreign to me and way over my head. But as far as building system goes, systems goes, it's um, just creating workflows, automations, different things like that for companies. So, like for example, the company I'm currently at, I um, 
helped structure and standardize what the relationship looks like when somebody comes on our website. So like they come on our website, they fill out a form, we get all their information. And then it's like, okay, they fall into this bucket automatically. Then from there, depending on what interaction we have, they fall into another bucket. They get certain emails, certain texts, conversations, different things like that, that are all positioned for where they're at in our sales cycle. And then I just created that entire system from start to finish, whether that's they say, leave us alone, you're annoying, or they end up becoming a client of ours. And you build that relationship. Yeah, and just build that relationship. Yeah. And so then like, you know, when I worked at my software company, Domo, I did outbound sales um, with enterprise companies. So what that means is we would target, I would target companies specifically that were 500 million plus in annual revenue. So the big dogs, H&R Block, eBay, Tesla, different things like that. Target, I'm not sure if I'm even allowed to talk about this, but <laughs> these are some yeah. of the companies that I helped um, get an, an initiative started in that I think eventually became clients of Domo. And uh, the story of Domo is freaking amazing too. We'll go into detail on that maybe in another episode, but yeah, it, it it's really kind of this aggressive growth, aggressive scaling type of world that you're living in. Yeah, and yeah. these are the big boys, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, I mean, at Domo, I really had no business being there, but just kind of grinded my way through, figured it out, and then just helped to optimize the entire sales department to where everybody was doing their day-to-day flows and operations and measuring the same metrics based on the criteria that I set up for myself that had replicatable success for everybody else and across the entire department. So, I mean, you could just see tangible results from that. Yeah, so basically you were able to kind of optimize. It's like this operating system you can create for flows, for customer relationships, yeah. for acquiring new businesses and sales and leads and things like that. Yeah. Um, to me, kind of stoicism is an operating system for your individual life and it's all about optimizing it. So yeah. how has the practice of stoicism and side note, Danny is actually part of the, what's it called? The college of stoic philosophers. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, I mean, if there's anybody that's an expert, if I am well versed in stoicism, which I like to think that I am, maybe I'm not, but Danny's, you know, 10 X that how has kind of stoicism helped business for you? Good question. Have I really thought about it in that much depth? But um, kind of first things that come to mind are, I guess this is somewhat physics too, is just taking things down to like first principles, meaning like just take everything apart. Like if there's like a huge overwhelming problem, it's like okay, we need to come up with this huge marketing campaign or this workflow automation or you know install these APIs for our website, whatever it is. Um, just really breaking it down and seeing what the next step is. Because when you look at the thing like as a whole, it's it can be intimidating, overwhelming. Like if you were to look at the top of, you know, a 500 step staircase, you're looking at, you know, from bottom to top, you'd be like, oh, crap, it's going to be quite the climb. But if you just look down and just go one step at a time before you know it, you know, you've reached the summit and that's that. So, I mean, when it comes to business, it's helped me really just kind of keep my emotions in check, not saying I don't get emotional. I mean, I get pissed off more than anything. I between for me it's like either neutral or mad like there's there's nothing else and so um it just helps me keep things in check keep things in line and then just break it down to bare bones and start working from the ground up yeah um i mean it's it's kind of more like on the behavior side right it's not like practical tips and how to get more leads Right. But it helps kind of optimize your behavior and your attitude, which then right. trickles over into you're better at making business decisions. There's an article on theconversation.com um, about stoicism. So just kind of an introduction. There are three main thinkers, I guess, uh, leaders of 
the Stoic philosophy. The first is Marcus Aurelius. Uh, the second is Epictet Epictetus. Is that how you say it? I think so. I mean, Epictetus. I think it depends on who you ask. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then there's Seneca. So my introduction was Marcus Aurelius, and then I got to Seneca. Um, but at the core of, of the philosophy, there are three kind of simple lessons. And the first one is, and it helps you kind of understand these and apply them to your life. So the first one is how unpredictable the world is and how brief life is. The second one is how to be steadfast, strong, and in control of yourself. And that dissatisfaction com comes from impulsive reflex reflexes rather than logic. So it's funny because the article kind of goes on and it says that President Barack Obama is often seen to demonstrate many qualities of stoicism. So this article is a little bit dated. It says through his calm and collected demeanor, some uh, say that it echoes the style of the well-known stoic Cato the Younger. And then you think about President Trump. I don't think that he has stoic qualities really at all. I don't think so. I just think he's just overly aggressive. Yeah, he's very emotional, seems yeah. like. Um, that or he's just using that as an excuse to push his agenda out on everybody. Yeah, so without going political, there's just Obama was very calm almost all the time. Um, and that's, a, that's usually a tell if somebody practices stoicism or has embodied that philosophy. And I, I have tried to do that. Um, so what we're going to do now is kind of just go over three practical and effective Stoic exercises from the three greats, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, and Epictetus. And um, these are three methods that may seem kind of basic, and they really don't have a whole lot to do with business, but we're going to dive into the details, give kind of personal examples and why, why this is the philosophy. So I'm going to read the quotes and the methods, and then we'll talk about them. So the first, first one, it's called Method 1 a view from above. And the quote from Marcus Aurelius is this, you can rid yourself of many useless things among those that disturb you, for they lie entirely in your imagination. And you will then gain for yourself ample space by comprehending the whole universe in your mind and by contemplating the eternity of time and observing the rapid change of every part of everything. How short is the time from birth to dissolution and the illimitable time before birth as well as the equally bound list time after. Uh, Marcus Aurelius advises us to perform an exercise called view from above. This exercise involves envisioning ourselves from a third person. This vision we zoom out while keeping ourselves in the center. We continue zooming out and contemplating the scale of the universe. For instance, you first zoom, your first zoom might encompass a view of you from above the roof of your house. Increase the magnitude and you might see a view of your street. Increase the magnitude again and you see a view of your country. Keep going until you can picture a view of Earth from the stars. If you can't do it, just pull up Google Earth, right? Just zoom out. Um, but what this practice is designed to do is to help you gain a better perspective of how insignificant certain problems are. So one of the things in my mind that can derail my day is I wake up early in the morning and I see that the futures markets, the stock market has gone down. Right? That means that unless we were short the market, which doesn't happen very often, we're losing money. And when you put that into kind of the daily life of a financial advisor, that could seem rather bad and a negative thing. But if you zoom out and you think, you zoom out 10 weeks and say, hey, look, one week we, we lose money and make money the rest of the nine weeks, awesome, not a huge deal. You zoom out and you think, maybe this is just one market. Think about all the other markets that could potentially be up. You zoom out, you think about, hey, this isn't affecting my 
portfolio, my standard of living isn't decreasing, it could actually be viewed, be seen as a positive thing. So you're able to kind of just zoom out and, and reflect on what really matters and it kind of puts into perspective what doesn't. Yeah, I mean, and just to kind of build on top of what you were saying as far as zooming out, um, like when it comes to business, like me personally, sometimes in the day-to-day -day operations, like I'll get frustrated with maybe the direction the company's going or some like internal problems with colleagues, coworkers, whatever it is. But it's always nice to remind yourself to zoom out, take a step back and look at the end result, the you know, the big picture of what we are trying to accomplish. And when you do that and you focus on the macro versus the micro, then it kind of helps you bear and become more neutral about some of the trivial things that are going on day to day that are leading you to the end result you want. And you just kind of understand like, okay, this is the process. I know where I'm going. This is where I am today. And, you know, I have the grit and the willingness to persevere to get to that end result that I truly want. Yeah. It just helps you kind of endure, I guess, the yeah. struggles. Yeah. It's, and it makes what seems like a struggle not quite so powerful. Yeah. No, absolutely. And like a side note, it's just fascinating to me to see somebody like back in three, 400 AD was contemplating you know, the eternity of time and like how big space was when they probably didn't have any real concept of how old the earth and universe was compared right. to what we have today. Yeah. But they still understood the magnitude that it had and understood how fast and short life is and can be. Do so, you have any background of who Marcus Aurelius was? Somewhat. I mean, I just, to like the extent of my knowledge, I haven't really like studied his biography or life too much i just know he eventually became the emperor of rome and wrote meditations which i recommend that everybody reads and not to push politics on anybody but bill clinton revisits every single year and there are a couple other world leaders that abide by that book and carry it with them everywhere they go james mattis the secretary of defense um, who's loved by every marine in the u.s has a copy of meditations i have a copy of meditations on my desk um, but he has a copy that he carries around with him and has had for his entire time in the military. Yeah. And uh, it's he, it's kind of like a operating manual. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just interesting because, like, he wrote this specifically for himself to try to keep things in life in perspective. It was his journal, right? Yeah, it was like a personal journal. Like, he had zero intentions to ever publish it and have it last, you know, 1,500 years later. Like, that guarantee that was not in his mind at all. And, um, yeah, I mean, these were just his own reflections. He's kind of working out his own problems out loud and kind of putting things back into check, into perspective and making him realize, okay, everything, um, that's going on around me, I may not have control over, but I have control over how I react and attack each situation. Yeah. And if you can control your own emotional response to outside, um, input, yeah. Then, then you are able to kind of sort through what's important, what isn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you really think about it, most of us have made some of our worst and most irrational decisions when they were purely emotionally based, emotion based. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think about it, getting in a fight with your significant other. Yeah. Like, it's it's based on emotion. You zoom out yeah. when you're in the middle of a fight, and you're like, "What are we even doing?" Yeah. You cut the fight out. You enjoy your time together. You deepen your relationship you fall more in love with you know your significant other or you fall more obsessed with your business or you optimize it more or whatever and it just works out better so Marx really is 1500 years later dude you're still killing it you're still helping us out a lot i'm super grateful for his book i read it every single day 
Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with truths, right? They're timeless. Like they don't expire. Like they're just absolutes. And you're like, you know what, no matter how you try to position or set up a counter argument, like you just can't win. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Period. Perfect. All right. We're going to move on to method number two, which is negative visualization. And this one, you're going to have to bear with us. It's going to seem a little bit weird at first, but it is one of the more powerful things that I've done. So this is from Seneca. He says, remember that all we have is on loan from fortune, which can reclaim it without permission, indeed, without even advanced notice. Thus, we should love all our dear ones, but always with the thought that we have no promise that we may keep them forever. Nay, no promise even that we may keep them for long. Negative visualization, despite the name, is an exercise that will increase your default level of happiness if practiced consistently. The exercise consists of you envisioning what it would feel like if you lost certain things from your life. Some of the things that you have could consider, some of the things that you could consider during the exercise are how it would feel to not have a roof over your head, how it would feel to lose social status, how it would feel to live in a third world country, how it would feel to have a physical disability, how it would feel to lose a loved one. This exercise is not meant to be dark or morbid. It's meant to put things into perspective, allowing you to see how lucky you truly are. It also prepares you for the worst case scenarios in which one of those things does happen. You are not meant to fixate on these thoughts, but consider them from time to time. So I like this one because a lot of people are crippled by fear, uh, the fear that they may, you know, the business they're starting may fail, uh, a fear that they can't ask somebody to get married because their marriage will end, right? right. Or that the person will say no. Um, the fear that they, they never develop a relationship with their parents or their kids or anybody that's close to them because they are scared that they'll be ripped away from them, right? So this practice, you walk through mentally the, the action of losing something important to you. And you come to terms with that loss and you're able to kind of move on and move forward and accept that. And it allows you to feel grateful every day for what you've got. So you focus on what you have and you're not crippled and you're not in, um, kind of disabled from moving forward because of your fear or the unknown. So this works in... in um, business this works in you know imagine you just hit the lotto and you're a billionaire now and you come you get accustomed to driving lamborghini aventadors right and i talk a lot about lamborghinis on this podcast i guess ferraris are better in my opinion so you get a ferrari and then pretty soon you can't live without the ferrari right and your your level of happiness increases temporarily and then it goes back down so it, it teaches you to be happy with what you got and to see things as blessings um David Blaine, I don't know if you listened to the Tim Ferriss podcast with David Blaine, but David yeah. Blaine talked about this and he said he tries to focus on how grateful he is to have a cup of water, yeah. right? How, put that into perspective, like how many people in the world can go get a clean glass that's cold, yeah. turn on a cold faucet that has filtered pure water, right. put it in and drink it. Yeah. I, I take that for granted. Yeah. But after I heard that podcast, I try not to. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things that that reminds me of. Um, one of my buddies did a service project in Africa and he got there first day and they're all building mud huts because that where the, that's where they were going to stay. And they had, you know, a couple of canteens or whatever filled with pure, clean water. And after a day of building mud huts, his feet were super dirty, but there was no running water anywhere for him for him to wipe off his feet and clean them up so he can put his shoes and socks back on. And there was this little boy, I can't remember the age, but I think he was like seven, eight, maybe nine years old. 
took the clean, fresh water that they gave him for him to drink and used it to help my friend clean his feet because he was struggling because he kept slipping in the mud. And there's just like a little puddle that he would kind of have to grab onto a tree branch and try to clean off one foot. But when he tried to clean the other, he stepped back in the mud. And so it was just kind of like an endless cycle. But then you see this little kid who may not have access to clean water without boiling it or whatever, and decides instead to use that as an opportunity to help somebody else who has remote access to it. And like he just said, like that made him tear up and cry like a little girl. But um, also, I know that there's a hospital that does a, that did a study or does some sort of practice where they have heart attack patients and they help them focus on mindfulness because they believe like that's a huge part of recovery, which I totally agree. I've co- talked to a couple of physicians and surgeons and, you know, I asked them play out scenarios. You have two identical people, exactly the same exact same surgery. What makes the difference in recovery? And they say mindset and mentality. And so what this hospital does is it makes their patients chew on a raisin for like 20 minutes, like a single raisin. I don't know how you would do that without it just like dissolving into nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but somehow they do it and it just, I guess, helps them be grateful for what they have and it helps them be more focused in the moment and really just put things into perspective on, you know, how truly blessed they are in day-to-day life. You know, and to also like kind of touch a point on um, list you mentioned, but like you and I both lost a loved one at a young age. I was nine. I can't recall how old you were. You were eight. So you were even younger than I was. Yeah. We both lost our dads. Yeah. We both lost our dads. Mine passed away from a heart attack, um, super young, but you know, that's life. But, um, growing up in my teens, I never really appreciated my mom. And then once I started getting more involved into stoicism and kind of going into this negative visualization, it made me realize like, you know what, like one day my mom's not going to be around anymore. And already going through that pain of losing a parent made me have a better relationship with my mom and sister because I appreciate what I have with them now and understand also that it won't last forever because I already lost somebody, you know, who's an idol to me so early in my life. Like it just shows you that your parents and everybody around you isn't indestructible. Yeah. So the practice isn't designed to make you focus on these negative things and come to terms with them. It is, but the other part of it is to make you appreciate what you have. Yeah. Right. I'm sure that your friend appreciated even dirty water as he saw the the little boy sacrifice his clean water for him. Yeah. And you appreciate your mom. I call my mom like every day. Yeah. And um, you know, it, it it really just helps you. So in business and in being successful, you know, don't negate what you've got. Really appreciate that and go through the idea of really losing that. Um, don't focus on what you don't have, focus on what, you, what you've what you got and, and be grateful for that. And it allows you to just kind of reach this higher level of inner peace. Um, I think it's really, really powerful. It's helped me out quite a lot. Okay, so uh, method number three. This is the last one. And this one is actually probably my favorite of the three. Um, it's really interesting. So it's called voluntary discomfort. And this is from Epictetus. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that word right. That's Greek word, I think. Um, yeah he actually started the very first school of stoicism i think he was homeless ended up somewhere in greece if i'm butchering the story tell me uh, i'm pretty sure zeno started it oh zeno way back when pretty sure epictetus was i could be wrong too but i'm fairly confident that i think he was a student of seneca or at least in the same time around roman stoicism you're right yep he was the one that was a slave, right? Yes. Okay, yes. he was a slave, 
escaped or whatever. Yep. And Got became a student of Seneca. Yep. Dino started Stoicism. Yep, you're right. I'm getting the like name. 500 BC, way yeah. back when, on a porch somewhere. And that's the the word Stoa. Stoa is, is like a porch. porch. Yep. Okay, so I'm getting my philosophers all mixed up. No, Anyways, right. Epictetus taught us voluntary discomfort. So the quote here is, but neither a bull nor, nor a noble-spirited man comes to be what he is all at once. He must undertake hard winter training and prepare himself and not propel himself rashly into what is not appropriate to him. So the last exercise that has been advised to us is called voluntary discomfort. In this exercise, we are going to deliberately put ourselves through uncomfortable situations. We will do this in order to train ourselves not to hold on to comfort with such high regard. We can perform voluntary discomfort in a number of ways. Some suggestions are, these are going to sound crazy, cold showers, exercising in the morning, walking in the cold without a jumper or a jacket, fasting for a day, sleeping on the floor. All of these change all these things will change your relationship with comfort. Once you overcome the need for comfort, life will become much easier. Setting your goals and sticking to them will be far easier. When most people complain about being uncomfortable, you won't be able to relate. You are literally going to be training yourself like a Navy SEAL. This method will harden you up for life. It says eventually shit will hit the fan at some stage during your life. You want to have the mental and physical fortitude to weather the storm. So voluntary discomfort is an interesting thing. One of the things I do on a weekly basis is jujitsu. I suck at jujitsu. I go to the gym and people beat me up and they demolish and destroy my ego. Um, another thing I did, I started this year, I, I drank a lot of soda for my entire life. And starting January 1st, I cut out soda completely. There are certain health benefits and reasons, but I cut it out because I just wanted to cut it out. And I haven't had soda this entire year. So you know, that's a small thing. I take cold showers sometimes. Um, I haven't slept on the floor. Carly would probably like laugh at me, but anyways, what are some things that you have done, Danny, and how has voluntary discomfort helped you? Um, some, I mean, I just do random things. I try to think of things every day where it's like my natural instinct says, this sucks, I don't want to do it. And then I try to immediately flip the script and be like, okay, then this is what I need to do. So like, uh, I don't take like full on cold showers every morning, but I'll end with a cold shower for like 30 seconds. Right. Yeah. 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 That's what I do. Yeah. And so there are some mornings where it's like, man, I just don't really want to do this. And I know those are the days that like, I need to do it more than anything else. Like I've done things where I, I have slept on the floor my wife understands why I've told her the story and like, you know, the whole reasoning behind it. So she's cool with it. But there are also different like social things that you could do. Like, you know, if you were to go to Starbucks and ask somebody for a 10% discount, like even though it doesn't seem like a big deal, you'd be surprised how many people like freeze up over the idea of act, you know, of asking for some sort of discount or wearing things that don't match or make them stand out or whatever. It is something that's not natural and comfortable to them. And so, um, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Yeah. So Danny, uh, works for a startup, um, personal training gym, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's like private, nutrition exercise consulting where like you meet with a consultant on a weekly basis they give you your exercise meal plan and cardio regimen completely designed and customized and tailored for you um, we have a staff of registered dietitians and certified nutritionists and personal trainers so like these people are all super legit and like i think as a company since we opened in 2013 
our clients have lost like over a total of like 30 or 40,000 pounds of fat. So like, that's, sweet. that's insane. Like those are unheard of numbers. Like most it's, gyms don't hit that. Yeah, that's cool. So it's like a boutique place where yeah. it's, you know, one-on-one high level stuff. Yeah. Um, so part of your life is kind of living, uh, kind of an active lifestyle. Yeah. Kind of practice what you preach philosophy. Yeah. Um, and you were telling me about something interesting you do when you're doing cardio. On the oh bike. yeah. Uh, I thought that, that was so funny. Like, I'll catch myself doing things like that too, but explain that and explain your reasoning behind this weird thing you did. So like the other day I was doing cardio at my apartment and we have like a little recumbent bike that has a fan on it. And I was, you know, just doing my interval training and I had the fan blowing and then just thought to myself, like, this is a luxury. This little fan is a luxury and it's something that I'm tying my cardio experience to. And if I don't have this luxury, it makes me not want to do it. So what I did was voluntarily turn that fan off and did my entire cardio session, you know, just intervals, no fan, no towel, no anything. Just kind of miserable. Forced my, huh? miserable. It makes it more miserable. Yeah, like just not having those things accessible and it just kind of makes you persevere and push through that discomfort. But I just do another weird thing where like I just keep telling myself they don't want you to win. <laughs> so that's what keeps me going and pushing for like forward and pushing further. But now it's to the point where it's like I'm able and comfortable to do things that I usually would have relied on something little or trivial to accomplish that task or whatever it may be. Yeah. I've done things like only drinking water. Yeah. Um, I've done other things like sometimes I train jujitsu really hard at night Yeah. and I eat before I go to bed, but I wake up and my metabolism has been cooking the entire night yep. and I wake up and I'm starving. Yeah. And I usually wake up and I don't give myself enough time to eat breakfast. Because I mess up, mess around too long on my phone in the morning when I should be eating, yep. you know, or whatever. So all of a sudden I'm in a hurry, and one of my tendencies is to just stop at the store real quick and like grab a breakfast burrito or something. And the other day I thought I'm starving. This will comfort me. This will make me feel good. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to voluntarily put myself into discomfort just to know that I can overcome what seems like a really small thing. But at the moment it's like I've only slept a few hours. I'm starving, I'm weak. Are you mentally strong enough to do this and to overcome that? Yeah. Uh, I think that that's how a lot of Navy SEALs get through their BUDS training. I know that the actual SEALs that make it through kind of dismiss the BUDS training, but they have what's called Hell Week, right? And you don't sleep for like five days in a row. And you do these crazy amounts of exercise and running and swimming. and Well, you swim till you pass out. And then they pull you out and they make you swim again. Yeah, they do all these like really, really intense things. And physically, there's really not that many people in the world that can probably do it just by signing up and going to do it and, and being physically capable without being mentally strong. So what it does is I think it's designed, and I might be way off here, but I think it's designed to toughen them up mentally and to say, look, you can push yourselves as far as you can. And then once you get to that point, there's still more room to go right? There's still more progress to be made. You still have more in the tank yeah. and it, it forces you to do it. So sleeping on the floor, I have an awesome bed, right? <laughs> I love my bed. I don't like sleeping on the floor, uh, but I should, right? Yeah. Because it's like, oh, maybe I won't have a bed. You yeah. know? Well, that's the thing is like, it kind of helps you. I mean, all of these things really tie into each other are the two, um, all three things that we've mentioned here. And, um, for me, like when it comes sleeping into the floor, I just try to like remind myself when I'm going through the discomfort, like, is it, really that bad. Do you use a pillow? I do use a pillow and a blanket. But so next time, don't use a pillow or a blanket. Yeah, I'll probably break my neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, 
you know, I just think like, okay, is it really that bad? Like, is this really such a terrible thing? Like, is this really so cumbersome that I can't survive it? And you're like, no, this is kind of stupid. So it kind of helps you. What am I so afraid of? Yeah, exactly. You just kind of double down on yourself and go for it. Yeah, Tim Ferriss does some things where he eats like really crappy food. Yeah, beans and rice for a full week, wears the same outfit. So he'll wear like Vans or Converse, which we both have on. Yeah, the my same wife. same pair of jeans and like. I, I'm sure that I get, my, I embarrass people that are really into fashion, but I've stopped caring about clothes. Yeah. like That's voluntary discomfort. Yeah, what am I afraid of? Like, what yeah. am I going to wear? Some pair of shoes. It's all grungy. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing. And you would think like, oh, these aren't applicable to business and I'm an entrepreneur and how does this help? I promise you that this will help. I've done these things in my life. It's extremely beneficial. They're really simple, um, but they've kind of withstood the test of time. Like the, those were practices that the ancient Stoics came up with 1,500 plus years ago, and they are still being practiced today. And there's kind of a, a revivement. Is that a word? Revival. Yeah, I mean, like it's definitely revival. trending. I feel like it's almost like trending as much as fitness and exercises nowadays yeah it's something that's being replaced and i love seeing this replace those types types of things yeah well the nfl is all implementing it and reading it and things like that the coaching staff like the players everybody that's how the patriots made that incredible comeback during the super bowl was stoicism that was probably the the best example of stoicism that i have ever seen practiced in real life They, they said they didn't even walk to the locker room like they were losing they yeah. said they walked out in the second half like it was zero zero. Yeah. Look, like what what individual or team does that? It's unbelievable. Yeah. So just to kind of wrap up here, um, you're much more versed, well versed in stoicism than I am. So what are some recommended books or articles or websites um, that have helped you that would be beneficial to people listening to the podcast? Ooh, I mean, some things that I'd recommend for people is definitely meditations we've talked about it a couple times already mentioned that's, that's it. marcus aurelius yeah marcus aurelius um plenty of world leaders professional athletes i mean you don't have to be famous or successful or anything to read it it's just plain and simple virtues just helps keep things into perspective and really help you enjoy and maximize life and use an operating system for day-to-day stuff um i don't have the books but i have the audio version of letters from a stoic and it's actually letters from Seneca to his pupils or colleagues, whatever, kind of helping them break down what situations there or problems they're going through. And they're kind of asking for his advice on, and then he just kind of base, breaks it down to like simple things. It's like, you know, like, what have you really lost from this slight? Like, like, so what a person said something bad at you or bad about you. I mean, it pretty much ends at that. So how are you going to, why are you going to let that continue to affect your life in your day? You have more to offer. You have more to do, do the work and be a virtuous man. And so um, the Daily Stoic is good, the book and the website. They send out great emails every morning. And then the book is just one page a day. And it's just kind of like a little morsel or golden nugget for you to take on and try to think about as you go through the day. And I try to read that every day. I'm actually a couple of days behind. I, I packed mine so you can catch up. Yeah, there we go. It, it's every day. So like August 9th, Yeah. Uh, there's a verse and they categorize it by month. And there's yeah. a theme each month. Each, I think it's each quarter. I think they do it every three months. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, so I guess July and the quarter. So yep. maybe that's why I saw a new one. Yep, exactly. Um, but they're coming out with a new version, the Daily Stoic Journal. Yep. Where you're going to be able to write down your thoughts and your reflections that you have. It takes a couple minutes. And I'm not huge into like 
journaling or meditating every morning or morning routines. See, I do all that. You do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I do, I guess, in my own way. Yeah. But I, I try to digest at least some, for, some form of new Stoic philosophy or, or thought every single day. Yeah. And reflect on it throughout the day. So I've got on my desk, my computer, you know, my office phone, my copy of Meditations and my copy of the Daily Stoic. And it's nice because it has one of those little bookmarks that's kind of sewn on to the, yeah. like on a Bible. Yeah. Um, kind of sewn on to the thing so you can kind of keep your place there. Um, any other kind of modern writings that are based off of Stoic philosophy? Oh, I don't know if there's really much um, modern writing. There's a book that I read from one of my classes. It's, um, I think it's just called Stoicism. I can't remember the guy's first name, but I know the last name is Sellers, and it breaks down like the entire philosophy of Stoicism. So from logic to physics to how it was founded, and it gives you like all of these situations and scenarios to kind of take you through the thought process of how Stoics think and how they rationalize and view problems and really just break them down and are able to navigate the waters. So it really just comes down to like setting a better sail in each storm. Yeah, got it. Um... Okay, so we've got Meditations, we've got uh, Letters of a Stoic by Seneca, um, Stoicism, that one. I'll, I'll tweet out the link, we'll look, look it up. So after the podcast goes live, I'll tweet it out, it'll be on my Twitter. Um, the two that I would recommend, that they may not be Stoic, but they're influenced by Stoicism. Um, the Ego is the Enemy yep. by Ryan Holiday, and The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. I owe a debt of gratitude to Danny Burkich and Ryan Holiday for introducing me to Stoic philosophy Ryan Holiday actually has those two phrases tattooed on his arms. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, um, those are his book titles. Um, he, he came out with a couple, you know, different books about marketing, but those are his stoic-based books. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I would like to eventually kind of create a, uh, an email list so we can email uh, at the end of every episode, kind of show notes and things like that. So working on that. But um, those are the recommendations. If you have any questions, tweet it. Me or Danny um, – also, if you can, hop on iTunes and leave us a review. It's helped us out a lot. It helps us get discovered organically. We're trying to grow this show as organically as we can without, you know, f filling everybody's timelines on social media, Twitter with kind of the, the show. Um, but I hope that that helped. It certainly helped me. It's helped Danny. Thanks to Danny for introducing me to Stoicism. And until next week, this is Young and Successful. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you.